Hey, honey, pause for a sec. Are spirit grays spots iridescent? Welcome to The Spinal Frontier, a podcast where we speculate as to why Star Trek aliens are the way they are. I'm... I think I can fairly call myself Dr. Kelly now, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Congratulations, Dr. Kelly. Thank you. Dr. Kelly, she, her pronouns. (laughs) I'm Aaron, they, them. All right. And uh, we're back with a more regular episode, I suppose, except for maybe not, because instead of focusing on a physiological topic, we're just talking about Trill. Yeah. Last week, we took a break from our series on symbionts and parasites to gush about the skulls in the skulls. Yeah, in Picard season two. And so then we came back to, to do the symbionts. And during our research, we found that the most notable one, the the one with the most information, is the trill. Well, really, the only one with information. There's yeah. There's only really one symbiont. Well, like we ran into with parasites, there are true parasites, and then there are um, sometimes like, orga- like organic compounds or minerals that they're calling parasites but actually aren't. Well, they're, they're, they're like, ah, they're eating all of the minerals off of our ship. But, like, yeah, that's just, they're just eating. That's not a parasitic thing. <laughs> right and and symbionts also similarly are not parasites so a symbiont Mm -hmm. or symbionts um symbiotic species are two species that interact in a beneficial way so the survival of one depends on the survival of the other so in i mean in my line of work it's going to be well very specifically if we think about uh cephalopods and bioluminescent uh, bacteria. So there are these things called the crypts in the skin. Very creepy, I know. Did you say crypts? Crypts. Oh. <laughs> like like crypt keeper. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, there are cephalopods that have these kind of pits in their skin mm-hmm. where they farm blue glowing bacteria colonies all night. And then they squeeze them out and as they bury themselves into the sand so that they're not detectable during the day. And so then they kind of regrow the bacterial colonies. And the the benefit for the bacteria, obviously, is they have a safe place to proliferate. But cephalopods use the blue light in dark water to kind of break up their body patterns so they don't look quite the same as they would during the day. And so a predator might not notice that that's what they are. They might not be able to tell that that's a cephalopod. Oh, that's really cool. I had no idea. So there are many, many, many natural natural examples of symbionts. And that makes it super funny to me that Trek is mostly focused on... Well, they, they have their one symbiont that they're really excited about, and they don't really talk much about any of the other ones that they could possibly go into. There's just endless it's such a cool symbiont though so do you think gray has crypts in his skin no because the symbiont is not is not a bacterium no but he because he has the iridescent spots okay so let's get into that first because i think the first striking thing about trill before you don't have to know that they're a symbiont to see that they're an interesting alien Mm -hmm. in general right so remind me let's let's be um, specific with our terminology so when we're saying the trill mm-hmm. we mean the scorpion looking thing right 
that's a really good question because I think they're both called the trill. So there's there's so the trill are unjoined trill, yes. and then there are joined trill, and then the symbionts are also called trill symbionts. Okay, so the trill then are the humanoids, and the trill symbionts are the symbionts of the trill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. for for people that have not seen Deep Space Nine or that one very special episode of The Next Generation, um, the Trill are an alien species that are humanoid. They look a lot like humans, but they have these um, beautiful, really cool spots down the sides of their face. Stripes of spots. So it's kind of yeah. like all around their the, their hairline, down their neck, and allegedly all the way down their body. Down the side of their body, all the way down to their feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a really cool it's a really cool bit of makeup work. Yeah, and apparently, you were telling me before that Terry Farrell had to have it specially drawn on uniquely every single time. Yeah. Um. So Michael Westmore, the makeup artist at the time, had a lot of difficulty creating a stencil, and so for for went that was that for go for went for went yeah. that to just paint the spots on which worked out well because apparently he and terry farrell got along very well and enjoyed their conversations and both of them have said like it probably wouldn't have taken so long to do if we didn't get distracted <laughs> talking <laughs> and he like would sign it right he'd sign initial his yeah he would number each one somewhere in yeah there. somewhere and you can't see it on the on the program but it's probably tucked into her neck or something uh, like it's actually done with um, it's actually done with makeup. Oh yeah, they, I like eyeliner. Yeah, right? they but... tried doing it with different inks, and it would stain her skin. Yeah, yeah, that's not great. But so they did it with makeup. But because they're filming in in like Los Angeles, yeah, and the surrounding area, they had to they had to keep they had to keep Terry Farrell cool. Yeah, yeah, they didn't want her to. Have a Rudy Giuliani moment. That'd be right, really bad. Right, because it would because the sweat would <laughs> just pour and just yeah, melt it off and her just face. Melt it right off. So yeah. Um. So like, I'm very taken with the spots in general, mm. just because I, I don't know. I'm 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 a skin coloration person. I find that very interesting. Right. And my organisms are very, or my study species of preference are mm. very uh, spot oriented, and the reason why I'm so like. Why we're asking about these iridescent spots in uh, Gray is one of the characters in Star Trek Discovery. Is that generally when you see a trill, they have brown spots. Yeah, the the colors range from like like a really dark brown to sometimes like a lighter brown, but they also have like an orange tinge cast like, to them. Yeah, cast to them. So they're, it's brown eyeliner. Is yeah, exactly. What I'm hearing. Although I've seen some black too. Like Gray has black mm-hmm. often. Or very very dark brown. I yeah. think it's just supposed to go with hair color. I think it kind of reflects mm-hmm. hair color. For that's my oh possibly that would be neat. And it would make sense too, right? But the reason why I'm asking about iridescent is because uh, in one episode of Discovery, where Gray is non corporeal, mm-hmm. his spots are very like ombre rainbow like it's subtle but if you look at stills it goes from like it's like purpley bluey reddy it's gorgeous and i was like i hope i want them to keep that that's stunning mermaid spots mermaid spots (laughs) well it's basically octopus spots right Mm -hmm. like octopus's skin skin color spots are three different colors like they're yellow and brown and red, and they kind of flare in different ways. How cool would it be if Trill could change their spot color? Oh, that would be so cool. That would be 
If we were designing Star Trek aliens, this would have been. I'm gonna. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get back on Twitter for that. That's right. Okay, uh, CBS <laughs> Paramount, if you're if you're listening and you want to introduce more Trill in the future. I'm a doctor now, yeah. so it's like super legit. <laughs> anyway, if, if you're gonna give them the glow up like you did to the Klingons and the Andorians and the, and the Ferengi, the like we're ready, we're ready to <laughs> to be of service. Okay, but we kind of got distracted and missed one of the more important parts of what the trill are. I guess. Is there a symbiotic species that has developed a, a relationship with, they call them the trill symbio, mm-hmm. symbionts. And they kind of look like a soft, soft shell scorpion, maybe? Yeah. A good way to put that? Yeah. And they kind of tuck into a mar- marsupially yeah, that's pouch right. in the belly of the mm-hmm. trill. It, like the trill have evolved. It's not just like a surgery. Like it's an actual. It's almost like um, how marsupials give birth to a pup or whatever they call them, a joey. Yeah. A, that's kangaroos, I guess. And the the partly developed youngling sure uh mm. will crawl up the belly into a pouch and like s- like grab onto a nipple basically that only grows inside of this pouch and then it will f- develop the rest of the way oh, cool. so in marsupials those the from birth mm-hmm. they're not done being dependent yet like they cannot live independently they they stay attached just in a different place so this is kind of a re- reverse marsupial situation kind because of, yeah. so a, a symbiont has to reach a certain level of maturity yeah. before it can be put into a, one of the humanoid trill. And why is that? I feel like, I'm, am I supposed to have an answer? Well, I, I mean, it, it has to do with, there's such a personality change, right? Like, Oh, was, well, that's on the, as far as I know, all of that is on the humanoid side is that they undergo a lot of testing. Oh, so you're and saying that the schooling. symbiont has to be the right age. Yeah, it has to, uh, it has to okay. be a fully mature mm. symbiont before it can undergo the symbiosis. That kind of makes sense. But at the same time, the trill humanoids spend their whole young adult they life. They go to college, basically. Yeah, right? and not learning, everybody can do it. Right, learning and like applying for and learning to be a joined trill. They're like the Navy SEALs of the trill. <laughs> it's like getting your doctorate, I think. I, so maybe this is a perfectly appropriate episode yeah. to be doing right now. <laughs> because it's it's not all physical training, but a lot of it's mental and and educational and. Well, yeah, because they're preparing for a physical change. We were talking about when we were preparing for this, like different, their tastes change, Mm -hmm. their reactions to things change, like their, their personality changes pretty markedly. Yeah. And so that means that they definitely have some kind of like their, their brains have changed because of this. It's not just they're now like semi-permanently pregnant with a soft shell scorpion. And so what we keep, we keep calling it this or the joining, but what it is, is they, they take a trail symbiont, and they put it in the the, pouch. the selected humanoid trills pouch where it connects to their nervous system mm-hmm. and their brain waves like interface like yeah basically yeah. they have the trembiont the trembiont oh my god the symbiont <laughs> mind and the humanoid mind kind of reach a um equilibrium an, yes an equilibrium where they are more than the sum of their parts yeah so um if in an older symbiont that has had multiple hosts before, this new host would get access to all of the memories and personality traits of the old hosts. Yeah. Which is very alien 
like when it was introduced like it was a very alien concept that was very exciting yeah it's led to some very interesting characters yeah and it's it's an interesting analogy to transness also so yes jadzia dex is a trans icon and it's completely a queen yes a queen unintentional on the writer's parts in the in the 90s they they didn't think about that but it's just it's how it happened and but yeah there's this beautiful scene where jadzia is meeting some old friends that knew her when she was her previous her previous host, Curzon, mm-hmm. a, a, a man identified as male, yeah, yeah, and this this big Klingon guy just goes and hugs her, and he says, "Curzon, my old friend," and she says, "Oh, it's I'm Jadzia now," and he just hugs her again, and he's like, "Jadzia, my old friend, it's, it's beautiful, lovely. it's yeah." Um, we love this show. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a great show. I'm glad I'm glad in our relationship that you got brought me around to DS9 because I was not into it as a kid. It's a it, it's, it's a, a hard movie, sell. and yeah. I'm not like I was I was a child and was not into the war movie aspect mm-hmm. of it. So I'm glad that I got to know Jadzia and Esri. Yeah. Now um, as an adult. Oh, and so we were talking about why the selection process is so rigorous and why mm-hmm. they undergo all of that training. And Ezra is a very good example because she was not trained. She's brand new, yeah. Yeah, she was a new. She was newly joined in an emergency situation. They did it to save the symbiont's life. And the Dax symbiont. Yeah, the Dax. Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Our queen. <laughs> so she had a lot of side effects of that. So the reason why they would need to go through some training is because they're, like we said, they're undergoing physical changes in their brain Mm -hmm. and the way that brain cells communicate is called a neurotransmitter Mm -hmm. and what's the name of the like they the symbiont produces a particular neurotransmitter right yeah it's isoboramine which is a completely made up neurotransmitter as far as i'm aware yeah yeah so neurotransmitters are interesting because i mean not all of them but a lot of them can also be considered hormones in other parts Mm -hmm. of the body so it's a neurotransmitter if it's in your nervous system it's a hormone if it's hanging out in your blood or your organs somewhere else, like like testosterone or mm-hmm. adrenaline, something like that. So th- that's what that is. And so it's interesting that the neurotransmitter, that, that means that there is a true neural link. So there's neurons that are put, pumping out isoboramine mm-hmm. into some kind of receptor in the pouch that distinctly communicates with the trill, which is very interesting to me. Like it's a really interesting mechanism of of the symbiotic communication. Mm-hmm. Oh, so um, in the show, the triller actually shown to be very allergic to insect bites mm-hmm. because whatever reaction happens in their immune system interrupts the uptake of that neurotransmitter. It's so um, interesting. Yeah, so like it interrupts the thought processes between the the symbiont and the host, which is pretty neat are there any like allergic reactions that can inhibit neurotransmitters it seems funky but i don't think it's that far off Mm -hmm. because like if you have a severe allergic reaction Mm -hmm. what do you use like what what do people who are really super allergic to bees have an epipen right yeah epi as in epinephrine which Mm -hmm. is a neurotransmitter ah okay so things that can change there's there's all kinds of chemicals that can change Mm -hmm. how your nerves talk to one another and how your hormones are moving through your body. So it, it could be, a, it's, I think it's a neurotransmitter just because it's nerve to nerve, but whatever histamine reaction is happening mm-hmm. in the trill's body 
is probably, sorry about the helicopter outside, <laughs> is probably interacting with that neural link or it could mm-hmm. be. Like I, I can see that maybe being something. Okay, so we're going to pause here for a second or 30 to hear a word from our sponsors. So back onto our discussion about the trill and their very interesting symbiotic relationship. How could two very different life forms develop this kind of relationship? Tell me how, did, what, what do you know about what they say about so what happened? In, in the show, the background information that's given is that the humanoid trill lived on the surface while the symbionts lived underground, and some environmental disaster in their planet's past forced them into contact with each other and to join to survive, which is very vague. Yeah. But do you have any do you have any examples of how symbiotic relationships form in real life? Oh, it, I mean they're really long evolutionary mm. relationships. It's just like something happened, maybe not so discreet, maybe mm. not like a, a disaster forced them to be together, but like let's talk about the cephalopods, right? Like maybe the cephalopods that kind of had bigger pores in their skin mm-hmm. kind of had these bacteria floating through the water. Cause we, we've seen like blue tides, right? Like, like the bioluminescent tides that you go out. I mean, we're in Santa Cruz, so we're kind of lucky to see yeah. like the, these blue flashing waves. It's kind of stunning. Mm-hmm. But, um, so those bacteria are just in the water. And, and so they, maybe settled on the octopus's skin in certain like bigger pores mm-hmm. and then the ones that that happened to maybe didn't get eaten because they're they confused predators but the ones that didn't were eaten and so they were able to reproduce generations 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 and then th- they developed bigger pores the ones mm-hmm. with bigger and bigger bigger pores had more and more and more bacteria in a certain arrangement and then yeah, that so it that it's kind of a feedback loop mm. between two species. Like something good happens for both of them, and they're like, "We're gonna keep doing this," and then just over time, they develop a symbiosis. It's the same with corals, right? So, corals that have photosynthetic algae like growing in their tissues, mm-hmm. they provide the coral with with the sugar from photosynthesis, and the corals protect the algae, and even some of our cellular organs mm-hmm. organelles came from originally some kind of symbiosis like old like ancient cells ate what became a mitochondria mm-hmm. or mitochondrion single right. word so so symbiosis happens at all levels mm-hmm. and can happen in a variety of ways but it's a really long-term relationship yeah so theoretically for for like a humanoid to develop a specialized pouch for a symbiont it must have happened a very long time ago. Really in long time ago. Um, yeah. Progression. Yeah. Because yeah. humans, it ta- like we, we all f- have basically the same parts. It, it's mm. very unusual to have such a really complicated organ system, especially involved with our uh, new, a new organ system involved with our neural system, like yeah. our cognition and stuff. I am curious because if the trill were free, or if the trill symbionts were mm. free living, underground i don't know what they could possibly have been eating that they suddenly were so deprived that the solution was to hook up to a humanoid Mm -hmm. because the humanoids are clearly like bigger and free living and like they can walk around and go leave and get supplies and whatever like they can feed themselves and they can feed themselves more and better than like 
soft shell scorpion. Yeah. But because to me, I'm like, well, maybe they were preying on cows like like the like the bison that I was talking about before. So maybe there was a it was a symbiotic with one thing, one large animal, and then that mm-hmm. animal got wiped out. And so they moved on to humans. That would have been be. my inclination. But they were living in two different um, ecosystems mm-hmm. or at least two different media right like soil living underground in soil is very different than living in the air right exposed to the sun so well they live in these pools too maybe that's kind of their interface where they kind of came from mm-hmm. so maybe they're kind of leachy yeah before be. maybe... you know, they, they do kind of look like leeches they do i mean they yeah. connect but leeches are parasitic they're not right. they don't maintain a connection they just bite and then they leave again so it maybe it could have been that simple, right? Like maybe they live in kind of the mud mm-hmm. and humans connected with them and maybe the humans needed to be in the water more because, or the humanoids, sorry, mm-hmm. the trail were trying to avoid the air somehow and then they went underground and then... I just, can you imagine you mm-hmm. wake up with a soft shell scorpion just hanging out in your belly button digging around? I try not to. And then it talks to you and then you're like, wait. <laughs> For me, it must mean that the symbionts in order to perpetuate, well, okay, this is part of my problem with with what the trill symbiosis actually is mm-hmm. about, because symbionts have to be a free, like have to be a species. Like parasites are are not free living, right. or they depend on, and these are like mutual parasites with each other almost. Mm-hmm. Like they they need each other to survive, and they die if they don't. Mm-hmm. I guess like a lot of the mutualistic like corals die if their algae die. Like that's that's a thing for sure. But it's very unclear what the feedback is. Like, are, does the isoboramine break down the neural tissues so that they fit their bodies just shut down once the symbiont is removed? Like, because we know that they don't, the humanoids, mm-hmm. the trill don't survive having a symbiont removed right. usually. No, I don't think ever. Yeah. The only one that I can, or the, there's the only. We can get into this because mm-hmm. I, I I don't really have a great answer for how trill the trill symbionts reproduce. Are there there's a limited number of them, right? Like in our understanding. Yeah. So in they didn't make it off the home world. Yeah, they don't really make it off the home world unless they're joined to a mm-hmm. host, and there's not a lot of them, which is why the trill symbiosis commission is so picky about who they select. Right. And it goes beyond that. They claim that a very small percentage of trill are even capable of being joined, like physically, Mm. and they're selecting from that pool. But the numbers are actually closer to 50% of trill humanoids could be a host. Mm -hmm. And their fear is that because there's so few symbionts that it would become a resource that people fight over. Yeah. And so they lie (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that kind of makes it not really a true symbiosis. Like it's mm-hmm. an it's a one to one symbiosis, but mm-hmm. it's kind of like they're kind of more of a parasite because mm-hmm. trill don't need a symbiont to survive. But once they no longer have a symbiont, their life is markedly worse when that symbiont is taken away. So it's actually it's actually kind of a parasite. Oh, all right. <laughs> That's muddy. I didn't yeah. think of that. I've never thought of that before. It just it just occurs to me now. Like, huh. Well, show's over. We were going to do, we do an episode on symbionts, but uh, no, um, we don't got anything, I guess. <laughs> the But what I was trying to bring up was humans, earth humans, mm-hmm. 
and our progeny can survive being joined with the trail briefly and then being separated again. Yeah, so there was an episode, the first episode that the trail appeared in was in The Next Generation. A lot of that information has been retconned out by the Deep Space Nine writers because Mm -hmm. they had one featured as a main character now and wanted to do a lot more with her. Mm -hmm. Um, But Riker was able to be a host for a short amount of time, like a few days, to keep it, this symbiont alive until they could find another host for it. And he was in danger the whole time. That was kind yeah. of the tension of the episode. Is He made a big sacrifice, yeah. and they, they didn't get one of the Lower Decks kids. They, no. they, got, they put the, you know, the first in command. Yeah, the second, <laughs> sure. yeah, the second first in command, officer, first yeah. officer, yeah. Um, but in Discovery, there is a human named Adira who is host to a symbiont. And that's a stable relationship. Um, I guess the medicine by the 32nd century is a lot better. I guess. And they figured out how to how to do this. But there's another emergency situation when their boyfriend was killed. And he, really suddenly. Like yeah. Really... And he was a joined trill. So they played host to the symbiont. And could talk to their dead boyfriend yeah that was was very dramatic but yeah that's another thing is that joining was not perfect and so gray the boyfriend manifested in visions that only the the adira could see and it was it wasn't until the beginning of season four that they managed to separate uh gray into his own yeah yeah they gave gray an android body Super rad, which is also why I was like, I hope he keeps the iridescent mm. spots because he gets to design his golem and he gets to design what what his body looks like and think about that very carefully. And I was like, pimp your spots, like make them very cool. Why not? Like I would do that if I could have like. This is silly to say because makeup exists. But yeah, right. <laughs> like I would have crazy skin if I I have a tattoo. Why why am I saying this? Never mind. <laughs> I guess tattoos are not iridescent, but I could put makeup on my tattoo. Sure, it would be a long <laughs> process. But good yeah, luck with that. yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoy the trill as a species. They're really interesting to think about, and it's really fun to see kind of a manifestation of long-term knowledge Mm -hmm. like the wisdom of someone who's lived a bunch of lifetimes in a bunch of different bodies it's really interesting to see the perspective and i don't know the deconstruction of that kind of privilege that comes with only how living one life and like not being able to empathize with others like i feel like trill are probably going to be some of the most empathetic people because they are joined trill anyway Mm -hmm. because because they're able to conceptualize what it's like to have a bunch of different roles yeah, and in, in Deep Space Nine, Jadzia and Ezri were both very empathetic characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's got to be the the mutualism that mm-hmm. that's got to it's it's maybe not a physical one, like it's it's damaging to them, but the mutualism while they're joined is that they can carry forward, and because they're, they're Dax is a diplomat, right? Generally, like he, Dax, oh yeah, the symbiont, the, the Dax yeah. symbiont is because so the trail the the trill keep their first name but then they if they're joined they have a kind of a joint last name yeah that is the symbiont's name yeah and, so with jadzia and Ezri dax the symbiont's name is dax yeah. yeah so so i think the the mutualism there is like 
the understanding of Dax's whole history and being able to take advantage of its past relationships yeah. and its understanding of how the kind of the arc of the moral arc of the universe, mm-hmm. basically. So I I think the trail that's why the trailer are a really important species in Star Trek is because they give perspective without being like they're they're not like the Q right the Q are just so far removed like it's it, they're not they, just some like omniscient yeah. thing they're really it's really they're so actually connected with humanoids that it's mm-hmm. relatable and useful to the trails whole thing the reason they prize this joining is to experience something new so the symbionts get new experiences with each host and then the host gets to experience this new life basically the weirdest cultural exchange you've ever seen it's yeah then it's a cultural exchange i think where the where the q are jaded in their age the trill are still like like they're like the symbionts are really old right and so a joined trill like has hundreds of years of experience but they're so youthful in their outlook and and that's why it's hilarious to call Jadzia old man (laughs) (laughs) exactly right (laughs) okay well on that note Mm -hmm. i think let's wrap up but uh, discovery is over picard is Mm -hmm. over we're right on in the middle of strange new worlds Mm -hmm. oh I mean, I can't wait for the next episode, but also I need this. I, we got to talk about this. <laughs> I have, I just take furious. Do you take furious notes, listeners, while you watch Star Trek? Because I do now. <laughs> That's my life. And if, now I have more time because I'm basically done with my PhD. <laughs> excellent. More podcasting time. Oh yeah. Get ready. I might actually post something on Instagram again <laughs> for once. <laughs> get, get ready, Instagram followers. <laughs> all seven of you. Bless you all. All right. So if you liked this episode, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app. And please share it with a friend so other people can find us. If you didn't like it, get joined with a symbiont and try again. You never know. You can follow us on Instagram at Spinal Frontier Pod. We don't really want to use Twitter right now, so Instagram's the way to go. Or you can be old school and email us. We'd love to hear your comments and your questions. Okay, honey, you can press play.